Here it is another Saturday morning, the final one in the month of April, as we bring in our friend Jack Farrow from Haskell's with another wine chat. Good morning, Jack. Hi, Denny. This will be one April we'll be glad to have behind us. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> Absolutely. And tomorrow is uh, is May Day. What are we going to be doing today, May though? Day. I thought today I would talk about one of the most prominent wine-producing areas of the entire world, and it's right here in the United States, the Napa Valley. Napa Valley is such an interesting place. It's really no wonder. It's the number one attraction in California. You might have thought it was Disneyland, but not at all. They, Napa Valley gets about three times as many visitors as Disneyland does every single year. And uh, it's a wonderful problem to have. You know, it has times as many visitors as Disneyland does every single year. And uh, it's a wonderful problem to have. You know, it has a unique history. Uh, first and foremost, uh, it wasn't started till 200 years after St. Augustine, Florida, was a city in the United States. There was a fort built in 1776 by the Spaniards in the Napa Valley. But they weren't the first owners of the area. The Russians were. So it's owned, that area has been owned by Russia, Spain. Mexico, it's been independent, and now it's a U.S. state. And Napa has played a remarkable role in the world of wine. Uh, the first settlers didn't get there till the early 1800s. And uh, it, in the mid-1800s, uh, Mexico granted huge ranch lands to different families, and they'd have big haciendas and things like that. So there wasn't any real community of Napa Valley. And then in the uh, at that rancho era, uh, a fellow by the name of George Yount built the first house in Napa Valley. And today the town of Yountville uh, is named after him in the Yount Valley. And he was very entrepreneurial. He built a, soy, uh, a sawmill, a grain mill. He had uh, orchards, etc. And he was the first one to plant a vineyard, uh, which was primarily planted for table grapes. And he didn't go into wine grapes till uh, almost after the Civil War. Uh, the town of Napa is from Tom Rutherford. His daughter married Charles Krug, and thus began the wine tradition, really, in Napa Valley. The Krug family really started it way, way back in the mid-1800s. And uh, it was the first commercial winery in that uh, part of the world, in, in Napa Valley. And, of course, then the silver miners came in. And silver mining brought lots and lots of people and began to see how nice the weather was, and they stayed there, and they went into farming and things like that. And then long about after the Civil War, the Civil War sent lots of people into Napa Valley, too, but not so much in the vineyards. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Silverado Squatters, which he wrote in Napa Valley. And he drew attention to the spas and hot springs. And, you know, San Francisco has always been a foggy and cold city. And because of Stevenson's writings about these warm springs and all that, they created a train in the mid-1800s, 
to go from San Francisco to Napa Valley and uh, take advantage of these spas, etc. So there have been tourists coming there for a long, long time, almost 200 years, 175 years about. And through time tide, uh, Napa became well known for its fruit trees. There were over three-quarters of a million fruit trees, mainly pears and plums, uh, that they would provide the country with from Napa Valley. But then, uh, and the wines continued to putter along. And when they were puttering along, they eventually got up to, uh, in the 1900s, about 140 different wineries uh, in Napa Valley. Then, of course, along came several uh, foibles for the wine people, Phylloxera, which was a, a vine law. Sometime we should really talk about that on one of these Saturday morning things, what that did to the wine business throughout the world. But anyhow, it was a, a brut louse, and it decimated the vineyards. Then along came Prohibition, and that was a big problem, too, along with followed by the Depression. And it wasn't really till after World War II that wineries began to grow and flourish in the Napa Valley. And when I first visited the Napa Valley in 1970, there were less than 70 wineries. Today, there are over 1,000 bonded wineries in the Napa Valley. And 400 of those wineries have tasting rooms where you can taste the wine. That alone is probably reason enough uh, to go uh, to the Napa Valley. You know, one of the most interesting things, I think, about the Napa Valley is Bob Mondavi. Bob Mondavi was born in Virginia, Minnesota, and his father uh, was a poor Italian immigrant, and he noticed that all the miners who were also from Italy up around Virginia were missing making their own wine. And, you know, Prohibition did have one loophole. You could make during Prohibition 350 gallons of wine a year for home consumption, and that appealed to those early Italian immigrants, they wanted to make their own wine because wine was part of their life and they had it with every meal, etc. So uh, Mondavi's father up and went out to California to buy some grapes to ship back to cold Minnesota where the Italian folks could uh, make their favorite wines. And they did indeed do that. But he was a pretty smart guy. He noticed the weather was much, much better in Napa Valley than it was uh, in Virginia, Minnesota. So he stayed on there and uh, eventually sent for his family, and uh, he bought the Krug Winery. And everything was going along swimmingly until Bob Mondavi had a fight with his brother. This was in about 1965 or six, something like that. And he went out on his own and gathered some finance people, and he built... Uh, Mondavi Winery, and that was built in 1968. And that was the first winery built in the Napa Valley since pre-Prohibition. And uh, he, he created quite a statement. In fact, to this day, one of the outstanding architectural landmarks of the Napa Valley is a Mondavi Winery. It's just beautiful. And, of course, they're very welcoming their tasting room. And, and then they have a, a, a shop there where you can buy the wines and buy all the accoutrements that go along with that. Is a very, very popular spot to stop at and visit when you're going to the 
Napa Valley uh, to do all that. But there's more to do than just the winery business. You could visit wineries and be actually on an architectural tour because the wineries in Napa Valley are just are incredible to see. Some of them are old Victorian old houses. Other ones are built into the mountainside and modern and ultra uh, unbelievably Star Wars type things, and uh, but the good news is the hospitality is in all of these places. Whether you're going into a cave into the mountainside or you're going into a Victorian house, they're very welcoming and they uh, and want you to try their wine and talk about it. And it's a great way to learn about wine. And it's a like I say, it's an easy visit. It's just over in California, and. Uh, it, it's. I have enjoyed it. I don't know how many times over the years uh, that I've been going there. I, like I say, the very first time I went there, I got a good dressing down from Joe Heights. I told him I didn't know much about domestic wines, which I didn't, and he bawled hell out of me for using the word domestic. You know, we're California wines. We are not domestic wines. Well, the lesson took, and uh, I heated him, and we got into the California wine business, and it has been absolutely wonderful. You know, Napa Valley is warmer than Sonoma Valley in the summer, and it's also warmer than Santa Barbara. That's why Cabernet from Napa does so much better than it does in those other places, and there's more Cabernet grown in Napa Valley because it it just produces better uh, juice and makes a better wine than the other varietals. About 42% of the total of Napa Valley's wines are Cabernet. And while that's an impressive number, an even more impressive number is the fact that of crop value, in other words, what they sell their crops for, and there's still a lot of grape farmers that sell their grapes to the different wineries, that is 60% of the wine business is the crop value of Cabernet Sauvignon. So, you know, when you're drinking a California Cabernet Sauvignon from the Napa Valley, you're drinking a special bottle of wine. And so many of those early pioneer wineries are still there. Not all of them are under the same ownership. Krug is. The Mondavi family still owns Krug Winery. The Mondavi family does not own Mondavi Winery. Another thing Bob Mondavi did was uh, he opened the first tasting room, and he was the first one to sell magnums of good wine. And that, of course, endeared him uh, to a lot of women around the United States who liked a glass of Chablis rather than a cocktail. And they would buy, uh, fortunately, Mondavi changed the name of that, too, and put varietal names on it. And he was aided with Alexis Lachine and Frank Sunmacher and other pioneers that did that. But anyhow, the Mondavi family does not own Mondavi anymore, but the Mondavi other family, there's two uh, branches, do still own Charles Krug. And uh, some other early names, Chateau Mondelina, Beringer, are are just but a two uh, that are very, very well known. Schramsberg Sparkling Wine was a winery uh, that was built originally in the 1860. And you know, as I said earlier, one of the top areas of the entire world for producing wine is the Napa Valley. And it was just incredible how interesting they've made that whole area. 
pioneered by these winemakers. They were soon followed by restaurateurs. And you want a, a tour of wonderful restaurants, go to the Napa Valley. The first restaurant in the United States to get the coveted Michelin three stars was the French Laundry in Napa Valley. And, of course, <laughs> I uh, felt that every time I've been there, it's like eating in a funeral parlor. It's so quiet, and it's like a cathedral of food. And, indeed, it is a cathedral of food. But I prefer something like Mustard's Grill, which, incidentally, has another uh, Minnesota connection. The founder and owner, Cindy Packlin, is from St. Cloud, Minnesota, and she went out there years ago, and Mustard's Grill is casual, informal, if you get there, have the Mongolian pork chop. You'll never forget it. It is just fantastic. But I think you get the idea there. Restaurants, just unbelievable. And, of course, to accommodate everybody, the accommodations have become in, unbelievable. There are hotels. There are beautiful bed and breakfasts, even wineries you can stay at. There are resorts if you like to play golf in that. Meadowood is a great place. As a matter of fact, uh, the Napa Valley Charity Wine Auction, which will occur in a, just a matter of weeks, is uh, they are they vie with the Naples Wine Auction to be the largest charity wine auction in the United States. And they go back and forth. And they're both remarkable because in one or two days, they raise upwards of $20 million for different charities. So they're, and some of the early pioneers, we were the first ones to bring in Diamond Creek from Al and Boots Brownstein. Uh, Kymus, that's uh, a legendary Cabernet, the grandfather and I were very good friends, and we were his first out-of-state customer. And the same was true with the wonderful Chardonnays and Cabernets of Trefethen. Uh Janet Trefethen, we were her first out-of-state customer. But anyhow, I digress. I think you get the idea. Uh, Napa Valley is certainly worth visiting. Uh, and whatever your interest, whether it's architectural and anything else, but the primary interest has to be in wine because that's what they do best out there. And indeed, you know, uh, if you're going to have some wine, incidentally, we are featuring a wine for Mother's Day called the Bouquet of Roses. It's one of those six for 60 uh, arrangements. You get six bottles of wine for $60, and they're all rosé, so give mom a bouquet you can both share. And, like I said, if you have the opportunity and you're going out to the West Coast, by all means, spend a day or two up in the Napa Valley. You won't be disappointed. There's good food, great accommodations, and a lot of entertainment, particularly if you can be entertained by drinking wine. Absolutely, and you'll also uh, hope and be glad you visited any one of the Haskell's locations. Yes. Before I mention Haskell's, I would be very remiss if I didn't mention the fact that uh, my number one fan passed away last week. It was every single Saturday that I have been on the air at WCCO. The first call I'd get when I hung up the phone was my dear friend Scott Archer, and he would give me a gentle critique of my program, and I loved it, and I will miss him greatly. Meanwhile, you can pick up any of these Napa Valley wines, at Haskell's. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington, one in Excelsior in Fairbowl, right off at 35. Our super seller up in Maple Grove is not to be believed. We have free parking in Minneapolis on Saturday and Sunday. 
There's a Haskell's in Minnetonka, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, we do deliver. Absolutely. Jack, let's do this again next week. Can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, we do deliver. Absolutely. Jack, let's do this again next week. I'm going to look forward to it, Denny. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.